Good morning. I'm so happy you could join us. This is a special President's Day version of the Automotive Hour, and you won't be able to call in today because it's a pre-recorded show, a program from our top-secret Automotive Hour vault, originally broadcast back in February the 14th, 2009, about five years ago. Even though you can't call in live, you can always get your questions answered. Just send me an email. Go to the website. That's agcoauto.com, spelled A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Click on the contact bar, send me an email, and I'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours, absolutely guaranteed. Now, while you're on the site, I wish you'd also look around. There's lots and lots of other things. Really big site. Tons and tons of things to do and see and learn. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Now, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Let's go to today's show. Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you have. Why don't you give us calls? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> got that all out in one big old long I'm telling you. without even stopping. And I see we've already got a call holding. We're going to go to line with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, guys. Good yes, morning. Sir. Got an 03 Monte Carlo. Okay. Noticed about three or four weeks ago, it's, it's getting real sluggish on acceleration. Right when I take off, it's fine. When it basically shifts into second, uh-huh. into third, it's just sluggish. Okay. Going into passing gear, you know, accelerating from 45, 50 miles an hour, just it almost wants to slow down, increase RPMs with just sluggish. It's been about 25, 28,000 miles since I changed plugs in it. Well, so I went ahead and put a new set yeah, of plugs in it. I doubt that's going to help much. Yeah, I changed the fuel filter and yeah. the air filter. Yeah, let me ask um, you, does it get worse and worse as you drive more and more? No, it actually seems to get a little better. After you drive a while? Yeah, after I drive a little while. And I have noticed the temperature actually is when I under that hard acceleration. Yes, sir. Temperature is wanting to go up a little more than normal also. You're not getting a check engine light, are you? Nope. The are increasing. Okay, but it's not um, moving? It's just slug. Well, if the RPM going up but the car is not moving, then I would be looking towards transmission somewhere. Right. Yeah, something's slipping inside. It's probably not going in the lockup or something is slipping inside yeah. transmission. Tell you what you need to do, Bill, is go ahead and pull the dipstick on the transmission mm-hmm. and give it a smell and see if that fluid smells burned okay. or if it's real dark because when they slip, the temperature is going to go up. When the temperature goes up, the fluid's going to turn dark, and it's also going to give a smell to it that will be pretty much unmistakable. Okay. Check that first. Now, if the fluid is nice and pink and it's not burned at all, that's probably not it. But that would be the first thing. You know, it almost sounds like a plugged-up catalytic converter, except that it doesn't get worse as you drive it. No, it definitely doesn't. In fact, like I said, it gets a little better. Yeah. Man, I would have to check that transmission fluid bill. And the first step, if you bring it to the shop, we could put a pressure gauge on, and we could tell you real quick with a pressure test whether you got a problem inside the transmission or outside the transmission. Okay. Because there are things that cannot command enough pressure so that the clutches start to slip. And yeah. that is very, very, very dangerous because it's going to burn up the transmission real fast. For instance, if yeah. you had a throttle position sensor that was reading improperly, what would happen is as you apply throttle, it may not realize that, so it does not increase the pressure so the transmission starts to slip. Okay. Now, that will burn the transmission up real quick. Yeah. Whereas right now it's only a forty dollar throttle position sensor. So with a yeah. pressure test, if the pressures are rising like they're supposed to, but it's still continuing to slip, then you're inside the transmission. Yeah. Okay. But that's a pretty simple test we can run that'll tell you one way or the other almost definitively without going any further. Yeah. Okay. But, well, uh, I'll make Tom set up an appointment. Yeah. Next. Check that fluid. Smell it and see if it smells burnt and if it's dark. If it is, okay. I drive the car at least I could until I can get it checked. Okay. All right. Thank you, buddy. Okay, Bill. Right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got Howard on the line. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Yes, sir. The small 
12 volt test lights that the average person can buy you know, at the stores, mm-hmm. to check up for hot circuits and that sort yes, of sir. thing. Uh-huh. Is it safe to go into the door panels and use that to check to see if we have electricity here or there, switches, motor, or what have you? Or does that produce any kind of backfeed that can destroy something? Well, Howard, it's safe so long as you know what you're doing and know what to check. And yeah. as long as you're checking an analog 12-volt circuit, it's perfectly safe. Mm-hmm. However, if you touch onto a serial data 5-volt line, you're going to wipe out something real quick. As a general rule, if you're not real well trained and know exactly what you're doing, it's best to leave them alone and to get like digital voltometer and use that instead. Okay, well, I have either one or the other. Well, and, see, uh, a digital voltometer is not going to hurt anything. It's merely going to read the voltage that's present, and it doesn't draw enough current to really harm anything. Okay, okay. So you'd be far better off with that. Test lights are useful if you know exactly what to do and what not, but today's cars are just so complex, like even what you mentioned inside the door, many cars now have a sensor in the door, which is feeding the body control module, which tells it when the door is open and closed, which allows those cool lights that kind of opera down and allows for things like the radio to continue to play and all that. Now, if you touch into that with a test light, you may wipe out the body control module. Well, it so. does have the, the door Right, closing. almost everything right. does. So you yeah, have to yeah. be very, very careful, unless you're very highly trained, which most people are not, you're better off to use a digital voltometer. Okay, well, that answers the question. All and right, listen, uh, thank you very much. Yes, sir, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got George on the line. Good morning, George. Good morning. I've got a 2002 Mercury Sable. Okay. And I've had a little bit of maintenance stuff done to it over the last several days. And yes, one of the difficulties that I've not been able to remedy without actually pulling it out is I can't get my heater to heat up. Okay. The shop to which I took it said they blew air through the heater core and air went through it. But whenever you crank the car up and drive it away, cut it off. A few minutes later, you come back, start the car, turn the fan on on the heater system. You get a little bit of puff of warm air. Yes, sir. And it, then after that, it's just blowing cold. Now, I'm sure they checked the thermostat to make sure the engine's getting the full operating temperature. They checked it. Yes, sir. Well, most likely, George, the pro- if the heater core is free, which they didn't even have to blow air through it, they could just touch two hoses and they're both hot, you notice flowing. But if the heater core is open, then the more likely thing is a blend door problem. Now, blend door is a mechanism inside the evaporator case, and you've got a heater core to one side, evaporator core to the other. Well, and they said they it works. Well, it's in good distance. Now, George, you got to know, my first question is, how do they know it's working? What did they do? What kind of tests they run, and how do they know that the thing is actually working? Yeah, well, they... Well, the, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they don't. The, it's a good guess. Yeah, it's a good guess. They, if, if they, they pulled the radio and dash stuff out yeah. and said they checked it. Yeah. See, I don't think they checked it or if they checked it, they didn't do it right because the blend door is inside of the evaporator case, which is underneath the dash. You'd have to take the entire dash out, take the case out, split the case open to see if it's actually moving. There's absolutely no way to see it from the outside. Even if you took the radio and stuff out, you can see the top of the motor, but that's all you can see. Even if the motor is running, it doesn't mean it's moving the blend door because the drive tank could be broken on it or a number of other things. So you could have the motor going to it, could not be commanding under certain circumstances. But if you got flow through the heater core, that's the only other option because the heater core is going to get hot. You, know, you got 195 to 200 degree water going through it. It's hot. The only reason it's not blowing hot in the car is because the air is not flowing through the heater core for some reason. 
Now, it's either going to be an electrical problem with a servo or... Those are pretty bad about the door actually breaking the drive tang. Breaking case loose breaking inside line. the case. Right. We've changed several dozen of those out for that problem. And okay, well... Well, I mean, they, they pulled. They, they didn't take the dash out, but they did pull the radiator and stuff out. I mean, yeah. uh, radio yeah. and stuff out. Well, I'm sure they did, and that may be the way they test it, but I'm, what I'm saying is that the doors inside the evaporator case is just really no way to properly check it. So you may think they checked it, but they may see the motor working and assume that everything is working just fine. They may even hear something moving inside the case. But again, it doesn't mean that the door is moving its full travel all the way over to the heater core. And if it doesn't, you're going to get a warm puff but you're not going to get hot air like you should. It's not too hard to diagnose and once you diagnose it whether or not you want to fix it, it's going to be the next concern it's pretty expensive right. repair if that is a problem. Now it's possible it could just be the servo which is not too bad of a deal okay, no. or, or it could be the control head but if case is broken internally on the blend door then that is a pretty big deal. You got to pull the entire dash out. You know, pull the case out. Pull change the, the case, case out. Change the case. Yeah, it gets right. a pretty big deal. Five hour job. More, More like than a that day. probably. Yeah. More like a whole day. All right. Thank you, Mike. Okay. All right. Thank you, George. Bye bye. And we're going back there along with Fritz. Good morning, Fritz. I've got a 03 Lexus with a piece of glass, uh, not glass, plexiglass that hangs in the very front of the vehicle, apparently designed to keep birds from coming up into the engine or something of that nature underneath right in front under the bumper and we hit something going down the road and okay. then it hit something else and part of it is dragging okay mm -hmm. yes sir. Mm -hmm. but if i just take that off no don't do that <laughs> okay. that's designed actually frets to draft air through the radiator and the air conditioning condenser rather than have it just draw around it in other words, that's necessary. It's part of a wind funneling design that helps the car cool itself. If you take it off right now, you're not going to notice too much difference, but when it comes the first hot day, your car is going to probably start overheating. Not only that, but you may shorten the life of the AC compressor considerably because the head pressure is going to be higher if it doesn't get adequate flow. Another thing is that water and stuff, when you run through puddles on the road, may splash up, get on the alternator, and actually damage that. So that does need to be on there. Now, many times that can be reattached. You don't have to actually replace it. Depending on how it's broken. Yeah, if it's not too broken up, we could generally reattach it. Most time it just breaks the fasteners. And sometimes you put a few little extra screws and hold it up. Now, if it is actually torn up, you'd have to change it. It's not a terribly expensive part. I want to say it's in the $40, $50 range. Do you have to get an original part for it? Yes, yeah, so I believe that's yes, the only, the only ones place you're going to find one. They're not terribly expensive. And if that's a concern, you could probably even go to a salvage yard, maybe find a used one and put on. But it does need to be there. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. And we got Jenny online. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Mr. Alderson. Yes, ma'am. My husband, Bob, had every confidence in your work. Okay. And you have serviced my little old 1987 Cavalier before. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I noticed as I'm driving lately, it's as I turn the ignition on, uh -huh. uh, the check engine soon comes on. Okay. Okay. Does it come on and then go off when the car starts? Yes, it goes off right away. It does not stay on. Well, now that's normal for it. When you turn the key to on, it should come on. And when you start the car, it may remain on for just a second right. while it's self-checking, but then it goes off. That is normal function for the car. Okay. That's well, the way that it's supposed to operate. Me. Yes, ma'am. The car hadn't run for three months. I oh, was goodness. In, oh, man. I was in the hospital, and my son advised me to put the higher-quality gasoline in it. Yeah, well, it's not going to hurt it, but that car doesn't really require it. It'll do just fine on 87 octane as long as you use a good brand. 
This like, car is 21 and a half years old. It has only about 76,000 uh-huh. miles. Right, that's fine. Just use a good name brand like Chevron, or Exxon, or Shell or something, yep. uh-huh. and you can use the 87. It'll run just fine on that. But that's what you what don't I mean. want is, is one of the off-brand fuels. Just pick a couple stations that are kind of convenient for you. So Keep using I those. Go Chevron, okay. Right, that's a good right. idea. And I tell you, what you want to try to do, Miss Jenny, is to drive it a good bit. Try to run that tank of gas that you got out. Because if it's been sitting three months, that fuel's going to be real stale. So you want to get it out of there as soon as you can and just keep adding fuel to it. In other words, run it until you maybe run a quarter of a tank down, then go refill it. And then run it until you run a quarter tank down, refill it. That way you keep diluting what's in there because stale fuel can cause you some problems. Right. I thought so. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. All righty, ma'am. That relieves me. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. welcome. Bye-bye. And we're going back to the lines with Linda. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. How are y'all? I am great, ma'am. Doing great. Fantastic. I have a question about the brake. Okay. Sure. I have a 06 Nissan Quest. Yes, ma'am. I've already had the the vehicle, Mm -hmm. the brake pads replaced a time or two, and the rotors turned and smoothed. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. And I had it done at the dealership Mm because it's still under warranty. Yes, ma'am. Is that a common, and they they made a a comment once about they had, you know, real strong brake pads or something like that. I mean, is that, do you know if that's a common factor in Nissan brake pads? Brake rotor warpage is a pretty common problem on all cars. Now, we don't turn rotors because what I've found is that when you turn them, all you're doing is cutting the faces true, but you're making the rotor thinner. And when you make it thinner, it's going to be more prone to the problem. Well, they might have once, but then I've had it done again. And I need to do it again because right now when I hit my brakes, they just, my steering wheel's jumping. Right. Off. See, turning the rotor, what you're doing, you're taking a warped casting and you're just cutting the faces true. But the casting is still warped. So it's going to go away for three, four, five, six months, but it's going to come back with a vengeance. It's going to come back worse than it was before. Yeah. Rotor warpage is a sign of excessive heat. And what happens, the excessive heat is when the rotor is made thinner by turning, it's going to just get worse. Now, what you need to do is find the source of the problem because what they're doing is addressing the symptom. Yeah. For instance, if the front rotors keep warping, what I would want to do is check the rear and see how they're doing because if they still look like brand new, guess what? They're not working because if they were working, they'd be wearing out too. So it could be that the rear brakes are way out of adjustment or not functioning properly, which is overloading the front brakes, which keeps overheating them, which keeps causing the rotors to warp. Mm. So kind of important if you're still under warranty to get back and make them fix this problem because when you get out of warranty, it's going to be on you. Now, the fix, in my opinion, is going to be to isolate the problem, the original problem, which could be a problem in the rear, so they're going to need to check all that over. Then they're going to need to replace those rotors with new rotors. Uh That way you've got something to start with because if they've turned them, they're probably pretty close to what they call discard, and when you get out of warranty and it happens again, you're going to have to replace them, and that's going to be on you, you see. Uh And you've already paid for that warranty. It was included in the price of the car. So it's not that you're getting anything for nothing. You're just trying to get what you paid for. So. Bring it back to them, and what you might want to do is even speak with the service manager rather than just a service advisor. Uh-huh. And I can tell you from working in dealerships and being in the automotive business 40 years, you get a whole lot more being nice than you can screaming and hollering. Oh, yeah. Walk in there and just say, look, I love my car. I'd like to buy my next car here, but you know, I've continued to have this problem, and I really would like to get this solved. And what I think is you maybe aren't getting to it. Is there a different technician maybe who could work on it, maybe a little more familiar with this or whatever? And they can fix that problem. Uh-huh. It's just they're going to need to. And if they just put new rotors and pads, it'll go away for a while. But, again, it's going to come back. They need to get to the root of the problem. Now, one other root cause of brake shutter, and that is running through what I call high water. And high water, I know it's a subjective term, but if you're in stop-and-go driving, those rotors are getting up to almost 500 degrees. I mean, they're hot, hot, hot. Okay. If you run through water even just five or six inches deep and you quint down real fast, it's going to warp. Uh-huh. So, 
if you find yourself having to drive through high water, what you want to do is just lightly keep one foot on the brake and one foot on the accelerator just to kind of keep the heat up. Uh. That way you don't quench them down suddenly. But if they go in and check the rear brakes, they're probably going to find a problem. Have them address that, put new rotors, new pads on, and then kind of watch the way you drive, and, and I think you can eliminate that problem. Now, just a couple more quick things. One is if you have a hub, that's the part that the rotor actually fits over, that's either rusted, corroded, damaged, bent, warped, then the rotor's going to wobble because it's mounted to a surface that's wobbling. So they're going to have to check for that. Last thing is Nissan does actually sell more than one grade of brake pad. They've got the original equipment pad, which is what comes on the car new, which is a pretty decent pad. Then they sell a value line pad that, in my opinion, is not quite up to snuff. If they're putting the value line pads on it, that may be cause some of the problem as well. Okay, and just from your experience and knowledge, if I'm past my 36,000, but I'm into my 72,000 phase of the warranty, well, so it's 336 on that. However, since it's an ongoing problem that has not been resolved, you might just say, hey, look, guys, I know it's out of the 336. However, this problem has never been resolved. They have the wherewithal. Basically, most dealership service managers have the wherewithal to do what it takes to make the customer happy, and Nissan or Chevrolet, whoever's going to back them up. They can extend right. that out if they want to. Some will, some won't. Yeah, some will, some won't, because just, there is a limit. They start turning too many warranty claims. Manufacturers kind of frown at them. But they do have the wherewithal to make you happy. And the thing is this, if you go in and say, I'll never buy another, well, okay, yeah. you're not going to buy another car, I ain't going to do nothing for you. You just, no, you just close the deal on right. it. Right. Just, hey, I love this car. Yeah. I'm thinking about buying a new one, and I'm thinking about buying it here. However, right. <laughs> see, as long as they, they may preserve you as a customer, then they're pretty likely to try to help you. The fact that he made a comment that, yeah, our brake pads are really, really hard, and that could be you know, causing mm. an endless circle. Then why isn't every Quest in the world right. doing the same thing? Because yeah. the rest of them aren't. Yeah. No, this is a problem with your vehicle. Yeah. Okay. And if you made too hard a brake pad, why didn't you revise the pad? Right. You know, that has happened in the past. People have come out with pads. Ford's revised their pads two or three times. Yeah. But they're going to come out with a revision. I can tell you, Jap companies are real good about that. If they got a bunch of customer complaints, they're going to go in there and find out why, and they're going to fix it. Okay. So they may have to update you to a newer pad. Okay. You know, if there is a revised pad, and that's another thing you need to check for. it. There's service bulletins that they've got yeah, okay. that they can revise the service bulletin, see if maybe there is a problem with the pad. If there is, is there a revised pad, and then change that over. But, okay. again, they need to get to the cause of the problem rather than just the symptom. So they're just treating the symptom right now. Y'all have been a big help, and I really appreciate it. Y'all have a great day. Thank, Thank you, you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. Steve and John, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. You just join 
this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? And we're going back to our phone lines with Steve. Steve's been patiently holding. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Good morning. I have a 2002 Chevrolet Trailblazer. All right, sir. I recently took it to a local shop to have the brake pads changed, yes, and they turned the rotors. Okay. Got it back. A couple weeks later, everything was fine. Well, a couple weeks later, it started making a squealing sound okay. again, just like when the little metal prong, it sounds just like that. Okay. So I pulled the front. It sounds like it's coming from the right front tire, uh-huh. which I had all the pads changed. Yes, sir. I pulled the tire off, and I looked at it, and I can't see anything that could be wrong. I took my air hose, blew it out real yes, good. Mm-hmm. There was a little dust in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's still making the noise when you apply the brake. Yeah. Steve, let me ask you this. While you were looking at it, did you happen to notice on the back of the pads where they touched the caliper, did you see any grease in there, or was it nice and dry? I don't think I saw any grease. Well, see, that's where your problem is going to lie. The way General Motors actually quiets noise down, noise is vibration, okay, and all pads vibrate, and you can't stop the vibration. It's actually normal. However, the way you deal with it is there's a special grease called high-temperature caliper grease, and it goes between the pad and the caliper. And what that does, it allows that pad to vibrate all it wants, but it just moves freely back and forth so it doesn't produce noise. And if they didn't lubricate the pads when they put them in, you see, when they put the pad in originally, the noise wasn't there because it could slide around. But as soon as it got a little rust formed on it where it started to stick, that's when you can start picking up the noise. Now, a couple of things you could do. One is you could try just remove the pads and grease up everywhere that metal touches metal. That means the back of the pad where it touches the caliper, where the ends of the pads touch the caliper. Everywhere metal is touching metal, go ahead and put some high temperature grease on. Another thing that we've done that have had really good luck with is the edges of those pads are square. Now on some of the later model stuff, what they've realized that square edge is kind of like a fingernail on a blackboard. It produces a squeal. So they just beveled the edges off on the newer pads. You might get a big file or something and just bevel that edge off just a little bit. Just knock the sharp edge off where it doesn't squeal against that rotor. Most of the time, that's going to cure your problem. If it does not, you might look at what type of pad they used on it. If they didn't use the OEM GM pads, a lot of pads are made nowadays, lifetime warranty and all that kind of stuff. They make them real hard. And when you make them hard, that's great. They last long, but they make a lot more noise. GM blends a pad specifically for that, so it doesn't make noise, doesn't make black dust in your wheels, and doesn't eat the rotors up. So if they use an aftermarket pad, that is characteristic of a lot of those. And generally, you can tell by the color of the pad. The original GM pads are going to be black, and they're going to have a part number stamped on the back. If these are blue or silver or... Yeah, these are blue, I think. Okay, blue. Well, well, yeah, that's going to pretty much be characteristic of that pad. Right. They're going to make noise. You may not ever get that noise out with that out. pad. What you might do is bring it back to them and say, hey, guys, I'm just not happy with this noise. Can you put a set of OEM pads on it? Pay them the 40 or $50 difference in price, depending on how much they charge you for the original pads, and go ahead and get OEM pads on it and have them grease them up properly when they put it together. That'll fix your noise. Okay, so even if I go ahead and put a, the grease on the back side of these? And- it probably helps try- some, but it most likely the noise is going to persist if you got that pad. What they do, they take one material and they produce it in big, huge rolls. They put it on every car that comes through. doesn't matter if it's a Toyota Corolla, Chevy pickup, or a Volkswagen Beetle. They all get the same material. Whereas when GM makes a pad, they specifically formulate a pad for that car. So I have two GM vehicles, and I noticed that on my other truck, too. Well, when look, I changed the pads, I used just some cheap aftermarket well, pads. Yeah. And, and it did that, and I didn't know why. Yeah, that's, now that's it's why. It's happened to me twice. Now. Well, uh-huh. and you see, the worst part of it, Steve, not only are they going to make noise, in my experience, they also either wear out or warp the front rotors. 
what will happen in about a year or so, you'll hit the brakes and the steering wheel will start shaking. And that's because the harder pad does not remove heat from the rotor the way it should either. So you end up, pads last longer, yeah, but you end up eating up rotors. So you just take one problem and exchange it for another. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, hey, the sidewalk's wearing out my shoes. Let's make the sidewalk softer. <laughs> now he's wearing out the sidewalk. So if General Motors wanted a harder pad, it'd put a harder pad. Because they got guys who do nothing. They live brake pads all day long. And they designed the proper pad for the vehicle. So it's one of those deals where you kind of trade one problem for another. And I, to me, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Oh, yeah. So is that just specific to GM? Or no, that's every no. car out. Every car out there, and the imports are even worse than the domestics. But I always use the OEM pads. And I can tell you, we do a tremendous amount of brake work at AGCO, and I couldn't tell you the last time we had anybody come back and complain. Oh, okay. We, we well, always use the original pad. We always grease everything up the way it's supposed to be. If you just read all the factory bulletins and all, put it back the way you know God built it, you're not going to have any problems. Do I need to buy the, the factory pads from a dealership? you got to be very careful <clears throat> because AC Delco made the OEM pad. But now what you got to watch is Delco also makes an aftermarket set of pads called Durastop, which is no better than you're taking off. Uh, so you got to watch that you get the OEM pad, the original equipment manufacturer's pad, there are other places you can buy them, but you have to specify to them, I want the original equipment replacement. It's going to have that eight-digit GM part number on it, and it's going to probably cost you about 100 bucks a set. At least 100 At least 100 bucks, sometimes right. more than that. But that will tell you getting the OEM, because if the box says Durastop or something like that, it's just a aftermarket pad in a Delco box. So yeah. even if you go to the dealership, they might sell you Durastops. So you got to be very careful. You might call the dealer, ask him what he sells them for. Check around. There's a couple other places here in town that do sell Delco parts, but just make sure you specify you want the OEM pad. And then I'm going to be looking at about 100 bucks. Probably about 100 bucks a set for the pads, right. yes, sir. But okay. it's a lot cheaper than two new rotors. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and another set, set of pads. pads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the long run, it would probably oh, yeah. pay. Yeah. Well, oh, you will. know, sometimes the cheapest way out is the more expensive way in. Yeah. Well, that cleared up the questions I've been having for a while, yep. so uh, I appreciate it. Good question, Steve. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you, man. Bye-bye. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning, Lewis. Actually, it's John and Paula, and if Steve had gone to Agco to begin with, he wouldn't be having a <laughs> Well, I ain't going to say that. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been going to y'all about 12 years for all our vehicles, and we never had such trouble-free uh, there you go. Uh, trouble-free <laughs> rides down the road. Got a question. Got a 09 Malibu. You're going to see it this summer. Uh-huh. Uh, we can't find anywhere that is in the manual about a cabin air filter. Does it have one? An 09 Malibu should have one, but GM is actually taking those off of vehicles now. They were putting them on pretty regularly, right. and yeah. people just weren't changing them, so they just quit putting them in. Many of the newer vehicles, they've actually moved full circle and gotten away from them. Okay. If the trend has been away from filters because okay. people weren't replacing them anyway, so they just quit putting them on. Well, we were getting a little musty odor on previous vehicles yes. after a good period of time, right. and we were, I wondered if they didn't make a problem worse trying to solve it with the air filter. Well, it's a good solution. It's just that people didn't know about it. They didn't publicize yeah. it enough. And when you take the filter out, all you're doing now is allowing the dirt and trash to go through the evaporator core, which is actually yeah. worse. But yeah. people just weren't changing the filters. So that's yeah. why I quit putting them on there. Another thing is by leaving them off, it comes off their maintenance schedule. So when the person's buying the car, they say, hey, this car's got lower maintenance than, say, XYZ car. So it's just kind of a, I guess, a thing they do. But the 2009 Malibu should have one on it, but you will just have to look and make certain. Okay. All right. All right. Appreciate it. Okay, man. All Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we got Charles been patiently holding. Good morning, Charles. I have 1994 Vanderbilt. Cadillac okay. that you're very familiar with. Okay. And you know which one I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And 
in the mornings when I, or when the car is cold and I start it up, mm-hmm. it makes all kind of like the motor doesn't want to go. Like there's trash in the gas or water in the fuel. What or exactly is it doing, Charles? It's just not idling? Idling rough? When, it's only when it starts up. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, it runs just like a Yes, yeah, so like it's, it's not like, idling, it's just idling rough? Real rough, yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, rough idle when it's cold is going to be one of two things. It's either going to be a vacuum leak of some yeah. sort that's allowing okay. unmetered air to enter the engine, okay. or it's going to be the idle control servo is hanging up and it won't allow fast idle. Because, see, a coal engine requires a higher idle speed just because the fuel and air doesn't atomize well in a coal engine. So okay. what the computer does, it commands the idle higher. What you'll notice is your core may normally idle around five or 600 RPM, yeah. but when it's cold, it goes up to about 1,000. That's the okay. computer speeding it up. The way it does that is it does it through the idle control servo. Now, that <laughs> servo operates mainly in the five or 600 RPM range, so it's real free right there. But occasionally yeah. when it's commanded up to 1,000, it may not be able to do that because it's getting old and it's getting sticky. And that will cause a problem. Now, the other thing is if you've got a vacuum leak, when the engine is cold, it's running on default readings because the O2 sensors haven't fired off yet. So the computer's not operating it from that respect. And that's, this is the car that whistles, makes a little whistling noise? Yes, sir. Well, and it could, could very well be right. a vacuum leak of some that's sort. What it sounds. If you got a vacuum leak, as long as it's cold, it's running on default readings. It's going to run really rough. Now, when it warms up, the O2 sensor is going to say, hey, the engine's too lean. It's going to just automatically extend the pulse width on the injectors and compensate for it. It can't compensate when it's cold, though, because it's well, an open I'll bring loop. It to you and we'll get it fixed. Yes, sir. Yeah. What did you do with that, Miss Charles? Is bring it in the night before where I got it in the morning where I can see what it's doing. Okay. All right. good. Okay, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you just hold on, we're going to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special, and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Pennsylvania 6, 5,000. Hey, welcome back. Please join us as the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. we got Camille online. Good morning, Camille. Hi, good morning. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. I have a 9900 CRV. The pump on my windshield washer is going out. Okay. We've checked the fuses, mm-hmm. everything else. It, do you know if that's difficult to change or is it? Worth changing, or it's definitely worth changing. You, yeah, you really need the, the to washers the to work. Sticker, you're gonna have right. to have it anyway. That particular vehicle, I'm not too familiar with it, but most of them, the pumps are right there on the reservoir, attached to the reservoir. Some of the reservoirs are real easy to get off, and some of them are buried underneath other components. If you just look it at just, where you add the fluid and kind of trace that on down. 
That's going to be the reservoir, and it'll, a pump will normally be attached to the reservoir. So. It'll, it'll have two electrical wires yeah, and, and, and a hose. Yeah. It's underneath. From what we read about it, it looked like you have to get to it from under the front bumper. Yes, Prob- so that may be, or you may have to remove the reservoir to get to it. Right. Whichever is easier. Okay. Now, if you I mean, might... Could it be anything else besides the fuse or the pump? Well, it could be the pump. It could also be the hose itself. Are you losing washer fluid? Does it stay full of washer fluid? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, if it stays full of fluid, it's probably going to be either the pump or wiring going to it. I have seen some of the hose will crack and come off, but when you press it, it'll squirt water under the car. So the the sensation to the driver is the same, except you'll start losing wash fluid. Can you push the button and hear the pump run? No. No. Okay, so no no pump? Yeah. More than likely the pump's going bad. Most likely the pump. They do tend to go bad, particularly if you put just water in it. Okay. Sometimes folks don't use washer fluid. They just put water. And what happens with water when it sits is it forms a lot of bacteria and algae and stuff, and that gets in the pump and clogs it up. Right. Whereas the washer fluid actually has an algicide in it that's supposed to prevent that. I mean, it's really simple to check. All you have to do is find the pump. There's two wires going into it. One's 12 volts, the other's ground. Just hook a voltmeter between them, press the button, and if you got 12 volts flowing, then you know that the pump is bad because it's got voltage and ground and it's not running. If you do not have voltage, you'll have to trace the circuit back and see where the voltage is dropping out. That's it, then. All righty. Okay, thank you. Thank you, yes, Camille. Ma'am. Bye-bye. And we got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, y'all. Yes, sir. I got Good a morning. question about the front end of the truck. Is okay. that 2006... GMC yes, sir. Sierra. Uh-huh. It's a regular four-wheel drive. It's not the Z71. Okay. I got 75,000 miles okay. in this truck. And the front wheel bearing assemblies, I have changed personally twice. Okay. The dealership done it the first time. Mm-hmm. I bought it brand new. Yes, sir. Done it the first time at 14,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And I changed them again wow. after the warranty. And I just finished this morning changing the right side. Yes, sir. I'm wondering... I mean, it's not a. I see it ain't a hard job. Yes, sir. Expensive part. I'm wondering why is this thing. What kind of tires you got on it, Steve? Don't, not a brand name, but what, what is it a big mud grip tire or anything like that? Actually, I had just regular street tires. I'm just yeah, don't give me a brand name on the air. But what the, the leading cause, there's two leading causes of, of repeated wheel bearing failure. Number one, and in my opinion, by a wide margin, because I've seen a lot, if you got a tire that is not perfectly round, which a lot of the aftermarket type tires or not and what happens is that they're beating that wheel bearing to death you may or may not feel it in the truck the wheel bearings are kind of absorbing it i don't it, it drives good yeah, you may right. not feel it but it's beating that wheel bearing to death what you need to do is take it to someone who's competent let them put an indicator on in those tires and spin it. if you got out around tires which i'm telling you we see it thousands of times it's going to beat the bearings to death now the second thing is if you run through high water with it and water gets past the seal and emulsifies the grease. It's just a matter of time. And when I say high water, it doesn't have to be that high. Right. Just I mean, five or six inches high because that bearing's well, hot. When the water hits it, it's going to suck past that seal because the seal's designed to keep the grease in. And once you get water in that bearing, it's just a matter of time. But that's the two things that are going to cause bearings to keep going out. It's not that you're getting defective bearings because if it were, every 2,006-mile truck in the world would, would be doing the same thing, and they're right. not. I'm not worried about the bearings. I'm worried about something in the front end of this truck because yeah. I have not had all-terrain tires on. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a brand-new truck, yeah. and, and both wheel bearings went out at 17,000 miles. I'm looking at them. Yeah, what? I would be suspecting the first time around, the thing could have been sitting on a lot somewhere. The water came up on it. Who knows? I don't know if you'll ever know the reason. It could just be they had a defective batch of bearings. 
But if it happened again, that's what would concern me more more so than the first time around. You know, the third time. I yeah, that, that's what the first time. It's not a hard job. I would be thinking I might have done something wrong. No, it's nothing you can do no. wrong. I mean, it, yeah, it just bolts right up. There's nothing you can really do wrong. I would be looking at those tires real, real heavy because I'm gonna tell you that is the biggest thing we see it constantly. Very, very common issue. The only other possibility that occurs to me, Steve, would be if the knuckle was bent on it for some reason. I don't know how it would have gotten bent. But a bent knuckle, you know, when you take the bearing off, it's a flat mounting surface there. If that surface is not flat, when you bolt the bearing to it, it's going to put it under a lot of stress. It's going to basically conform to the shape of the knuckle. And if those knuckles are not flat or not manufactured right even, it's going to put the bearing into a lot of stress. So that could cause them to go out pretty quickly. All right, man. Okay. I appreciate it. Okay, Steve. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. We have got Joe has been patiently holding. Good morning, Joe. I got a 2006 2500 Chevrolet truck. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it gets hot. When I drive around my pasture, it gets hot. The temperatures go up when I got the air conditioner on. If I cut the air conditioner off, it cools down. Ordinarily, driving on the road, it's cool. Joe, does it get hot when you're sitting still, or does it get hot when you're actually driving? It gets hot when you're sitting still, or just idling, going slow in my pasture. There you go. Right. Okay. Well, that's going to be some type of an airflow issue. You know, you're not moving enough air through that radiator. That vehicle has electric fans on it. Okay. Right. It does check, have a set check of electric and fans. and see if those electric fans are working and if they're both working and if they're working at the right temperatures. It's going to be something like either a bad fan motor or a bad electronic temperature sensor that's not sending the right signal or a bad wire or something like that. And what it will do, you see, when you're moving down the road, you got 40-mile-an-hour wind coming through that radio. It don't need a fan. But yeah. when you're sitting still or just barely rolling through the pasture, now you don't have wind coming through it. It has to have that fan to move the air through because it can't give off the heat. And if it can't give off the heat, it just keeps getting hotter and hotter. Well, the fans are running when I'm raising the hood and look at it when well, it's not. Well, make yeah. sure they're both running and not maybe just one of them running. And also, you'd have to. the next step would be maybe the sensor that runs it may be going bad. You'd have to have a scan tool to see what that sensor is commanding because a sensor can go bad and may not turn the fans on until it's already too hot. Where's the sensor located? you got to watch because there's two sensors on it. One runs the gauge and the other one runs the electronic temperature sensor. The one that you're looking for is on the driver's side cylinder head all the way towards the front, right in front of the spark plug, and that's the one that tells the computer how hot the engine is. But the sensor's not the only thing because it's also got three relays. Okay. Now, check, too, make sure you're not low on coolant. Right. Because if you're low on coolant, the coolant may not reach the sensor. You see, so then the vehicle can get hot, and it doesn't even know it's hot. I got and, you, man. Now, one last thing. Those fans run at two different speeds. And there's the computer has three relays. And, and what it does, when it gets to a certain temperature, it grounds the first relay. Well, that's the low-speed relay. So the fans will come on and they'll turn. So if you just look down and see them turning, they may be turning, maybe turning low speed. As the temperature starts to go up, it needs more airflow. Well, it grounds the second relay, which is the high-speed relay. And then it kicks them on much, much faster. So if it's running on the low fan speed, it may stay okay at certain times or going down the road or under low load. But when you start going through the field, maybe you got your air conditioner on, the load is high, it commands a high-speed relay, it may either stay on low or it may go off completely. So that could be a problem, too. you got to watch it. you almost got to have a scan tool to check that and see. At the very least, you have to sit there and let it get hot, watch it, make sure it goes up to the high speed, and then check all your relays if not, because one of those relays could be bad and it's not going to high speed. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, all right. man. Bye-bye. we got John on the line. Hey, Mr. Lewis. How you doing? Good. Look, I've got a problem. My wife has a 1999 Honda CRV. Yes, sir. It's the EX. It's got the the real time all wheel drive. Uh-huh. The car runs fine, but 
what I've noticed is when she's in a parking lot and she's making a hard turn. Yeah. Clack, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, it's making a yeah. Brrr, yeah. like she's yeah. running over a rub strip. Yeah, John, that is most of the time the rear differential on those. There's a special fluid that you got to buy from Honda. VTM fluid. It's something like that. Fluid it's got a code. And I know you don't believe that, but I'm gonna tell you right now, we change that fluid all the time and eliminate that noise. Okay, so that okay. You gotta service, well, service that rear differential that. with the right, right. fluid. There's we, a guy we, that I work with, he was telling me, well, it's an all-wheel drive. It's going to make that no, noise. No, that's not right. It should have a slip. Yeah, it's, between it's, it's got clutches the in there that allows the slip. But we change that fluid all the time for that problem. In fact, they have service bulletin out on that. There is a service bulletin that advises you that fluid needs to be changed every 30,000 miles. Okay. And, and most people don't change it. What happens, the uh, lubricity of the fluid starts to uh, drop down, and those clutches start making noise in that rear end. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Okay, man. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Hey, before we run out of time, I want to remind everybody, just in case you don't get your call answered or you have a question that occurs to you during the week, you That's right. get us on the website. That's right. It's agcoauto.com. It's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that. It's Altazan's Garage Company. Mm-hmm. And there's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email 24 hours a day, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. Right. You can also look at the vehicle questions because there's almost 300 of them in that have already been answered. Most of the common stuff. Right. You get a call on the show repeatedly, or if someone sends me an email, and I think it brings out an actually interesting point, I always add that to the site. So you've got a really good database. You can search it, query it for whatever you're looking for. Another big, big database on that site is the detailed topics, and that's a much more involved story about different topics. Right, different instance, parts of your vehicle. Exactly, like an oil filter or a cooling system or diagnostic trouble codes. A lot of people will call, I've got code such and such, and really they don't have any idea what that means. But if you right. read this article, it'll tell you how diagnostic trouble codes actually work, what you, they're trying to tell you. Right, you will... And more important, what they're not telling you. Because <laughs> yeah. an awful lot of money is made, and a lot of people are stuck by parts stores who will supposedly check your code for free and then sell you a bunch of junk that you don't need that's not as good as the stuff you're taking off. Right. To, we, we've actually proven that point. We can take a Toyota and a Chevrolet, create right. the same problem, and get two different codes out of it. Well, yeah, we do that at the auto awareness class right. where we take two different vehicles, a Chevrolet and a Toyota, unplug the airflow meter on both of them. One sets a oxygen sensor code, and the other one sets some other code. Right. Completely different. So you can't ever interpret those codes literally. You have to understand what they How mean. they work, and wh- that gives you a starting point. Right. And what will happen is if you don't understand what you're doing, you can spend a tremendous amount of money on things that you don't need. Right. And this is a very good article on that topic. There's lots of other things, too. There's one on there on oil filters. Most people don't realize how much difference there is in oil filters. Some of the really, really popular Big ones brand in the names, market yeah. are, are absolute trash. Right. Probably not worth putting. They probably leave the old oil filter and do just much good. <laughs> and a good article as well called The Sad Truth, and it's on extended oil change intervals and why that is not in your best interest. Right. It will actually explain to you whose interest that it, whose best interest that is in. Well, absolutely. And it just seems every single week these days, someone comes in and say, man, my car is using oil, it's leaking oil, it's doing this. You take one look at it and you say, man. There's nothing left to work with. Yeah. It's, like, it's leaking here, it's leaking there, it's burning all past Neffer. Neffer, yeah. Yeah, not economically feasible to repair. <laughs> and all you can do is call St. Vincent DePaul and haul the car off because it's just so far gone that right. there's just really nothing left to work with. And it gets away in a hurry. It does. It, much, much faster than you might think because what happens, you start going six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 miles between all changes. You get up to around eighty or 90,000 miles, which sounds like a lot, but you're sure not ready to buy a new car yet. No, not by so no means. Especially $30,000 a pop. <laughs> And you start getting a bunch of oil pouring out of it here and there. Well, now it's too late. 
Sure. It's kind of like getting lung cancer and then going to the doctor. He says, well, quit smoking. Well, yeah. too late. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I tell you, we're going to squat on another perfectly good hour. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Be sure you go to our website, www.agcoauto.com. Kind of a continuation of what you've been hearing for the last hour. There you go. Hey, have a great weekend.